Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Hear now God's Word. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. Well, the exposition of our text is rather simple and straightforward this morning. So let me summarize it this way. As a body, as a church body, we have a bunch of members. Each of us do and contribute different things to the body. We find our unity, what keeps us together in that diversity, is Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are connected to one another as a community. God not only made us, but He also made us to live in a certain context. The fall into sin disrupted that context. Redemption is all about God restoring that context. Man was made to live in the context of community and authority. We need, uh, when we try to escape either of these, then trouble ensues. So we need both community and authority. Why are authority and community so important? Well, as I used to tell my children when regarding my own parental authority, because God said so. And that's the most fundamental lesson any of us needs to learn. That was the lesson in the Garden of Eden. God said so. He knows more than you. He's smarter than you. He's more powerful than you. He loves you. He said so. That's our starting place, not our ending place. We don't set out to find out if what God said is true. We don't set out to put it to the test or decide whether we like it or don't like it. That's where we start. God said so. That authority. Let, uh, Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And here's a key point. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, or the legitimate authorities in this world, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now second, with regard to community, God himself is a community. The Trinity. A trinity of persons in eternal fellowship and communion. So we need to break these two areas down a bit so that we might understand the what's and the why's of both community and authority because a good many of our problems are related to these two subjects. Therefore, the sooner we comprehend what God says about them, the happier we're going to be. Now, I have already addressed the subject in a previous sermon in this series on our ultimate authority, which is the Word of God. And so today, I would like for us to focus on the question regarding the place of community. Community is foundational to a healthy, to a healthy Christian life because living in God's community is your place in Christ. 
More specifically, your place in the body of Christ. You can't be in Christ and not be in His body. You can't be in Christ and not be in the community of God's people that we call the church. So what is community? Now, what I'm, some of what I'm doing, obviously, many of you have heard before from this pulpit. It is a series on our, our foundations, so these are things, by and large, that have been said. There's a few new angles that I'm going to bring forward today. But let's just start with the basics. The word community is made up of two words that we're familiar with, common and unity. It is also where we get words like communion and communication. And these are closely related to the idea of community. And it is, of course, possible to have union without communion or community. The unity part is essential for community and communion. The opposite of community is isolation. And I'm actually going to spend a good bit of time this morning in the sermon talking about the different ways isolation can happen and how they work against community. So right out of the chute, some will declare, um, as we begin to talk about community, uh, that they are private people. I'm a private person. To that, let me say that when you became, became a follower of Jesus, you gave up yourself and you joined with others to follow him. You don't get to simply be a private person. Now, there are certainly, as we're going to say, many things that are private in our lives, but not everything. And, and just declaring, I'm a private person, as somehow that is a, is a basis for me to not be engaged with the community, is not legitimate. You are now part of something that is bigger than you. Moreover, what many people really mean is, they are secret people. Because we're all private people in some aspects of our lives. But the desire to have some privacy cannot become an excuse to be secret or to be unknown. That's really what it's about. I don't want to open up. I don't want to show you who I am. Our text says, individually, we are members of one another. We are connected to one another. We're tied to one another. We're bound to one another. Now, there are degrees of both community and isolation. And so many treat the community as something that they can step into and step back out of at will. Thus, even when they're technically in the community, they're members of the church or the family, they can usually be found hanging out at the edge of the community in order to facilitate a quick retreat back into isolation. I have my toe in the pool, and now I'm out. And so, um, a minimal involvement with the community that's still focused on self-interest. A lifetime of doing your own thing will likely teach your children to do their own thing. So don't be surprised. For some, even the community events are all about them. What's in it for me? For example, a child might be a part of a family. That's a community, right? Yet still function outside the community by either demanding to be the center of the community's attention or else by living 
an isolated life within the family, hanging out in their bedroom, or with the headphones, or the smartphone, or the computer, or games, or some other way. Yes, I'm here, but I'm really not. I'm really checked out. In the church, it's seen in the smorgasbord of picking and choosing which things to participate in based on my personal taste and likes and dislikes. And so I want to emphasize that when the Bible speaks of community, it is not speaking of pseudo-community, but real community. And real community is costly. It's expensive for us. We have to sacrifice ourselves. That's part of the Christian life, is self-sacrifice for the sake of others, for Christ's sake. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and become members of one another, to become attached to one another. This will inevitably mean doing some things, perhaps a lot of things that you don't really want to do, but that you need to do. This will require sacrifice and self-denial because love always does. So, a little bit more about isolation and its dangers. Proverbs 18.1 gives us some perspective. It says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Again, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And when we live separate lives, our view of the world becomes very narrow. I have this image of someone who kind of is a hermit living in a cave. And they don't get out much. And every now and then they peek outside. And the world's big and scary and threatening. So they retreat back in into there. So they have this little narrow portal that they can look out at the rest of the world. But here, they think, is the place of safety. Now remember, it is possible to live a separate life in a crowd. Husbands and wives learn how to do that sometimes with each other. They can live separate lives under the same roof or even in the same bedroom. From our personal cave, we can only see out of that little door and we have no others or few others to correct us or provide other points of view. We grow defensive and intolerant and prejudiced, not to mention depressed and grumpy and paranoid. Our blind spots remain forever blind. This leads to what I call the weird factor. You're all weird. Me too. But I just don't see my weirdness. I just see yours. We're all weird in some ways, and most of us are blind to that weirdness. Sometimes we know we're weird, and we just like to nurture it, which is a separate problem that I won't address today. But we're often simply blind to that oddity. We're, now, weirdness is, is not always, but is often a form of sinfulness, of selfishness, and immaturity. And one of the features of immaturity is it doesn't really like anyone pointing it out. Anybody here like to be told they're immature? But that's one of the things a community does, isn't it? Community has a keen eye for such things, and it has a variety of ways of dealing with it some of which can also be sinful. I'm not saying they're all appropriate. So isolation compounds our weirdness and community exposes it. 
in order to be part of a community, I have to change. We'll have to modify our weird or immature behavior in order to fit in to the community. The broader community also, and remember, this community we're fitting into is not just any old community. This is the body of Christ. Don't you want to fit into the body of Christ? Don't you want to be like Christ? This is where he says that happens. And so the broader community also helps equip us for personal one-on-one relationships and family life. Thus, community is designed to shape us and to form us into the image of Christ, whose body we are members of. And Jesus is neither weird nor immature. He is the standard. Community is a bit like sandpaper. It's designed to take the rough edges off. Proverbs 27:17, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. In community, we learn things that we cannot learn alone. It forces us into relationships that test our character and our faith, and yes, often our patience. It puts us in a place where we can learn both positively and negatively. We have something to learn from everyone, young and old, doesn't matter who they are. As you've heard me say many times, just in a metaphorical way, we need to be 10% like, more like everybody else. I know the numbers don't add up, but you get the idea. Moreover, in community is where God reveals things about ourselves to us. There are things you don't know about yourself or that you hide from yourself or that you're deceived about regarding yourself. And when you're in relation with other people, one of the things God does as I'm getting to know them is God's using them to let me get to know me, to see me the way I really am, to see me the way God sees me. And so, if we live on the edge of the community or outside the circle, then we lose all those benefits that God wants us to have. We get stuck in our foxhole, in our own tiny circle, and we lose perspective. We can't see very far, and we can't see ourselves, but we think we can. That's the problem with six-year-olds, right? They think they can see just fine and that they've got all the information they need. That's a problem of age and maturity, but we can do that in other ways as we grow older. Now, one other form of isolation is, is to only have community with a narrow demographic of people that are just like us. People who are our age or who like what we like. We kind of form a sort of club. Church, whole churches can be this way. We hang out with our friends, and we really don't have time for others. But Romans 12 tells us that we are to be given to hospitality and that we are to associate with the lowly. That's a command. How inconvenient, but how very, very important. Now, it's not an all-or-nothing proposition. It is a both-and proposition. Pastor Wilson illustrates this in a piece he wrote a while back where he was talking about both the blessings and the dangers 
of online education. Uh, and he's, you know, we can, you've heard me on subject education, there are both dangers, there are dangers to whatever you're doing in education. If you're homeschooling, if you're going to a Christian school, and we can spend lots and lots of time talking about the dangers of all of these, but since we're talking about the issue of isolation, it's important that we understand this particular danger. And here's what he says. One of the central reasons it, that is online education, can present, it, it presents such a temptation is that it is really convenient. And one of the great blessings of community is that it is so inconvenient. Seriously, your child has to be at school by 8 in the morning, even though he's not a morning person. He didn't have time for a balanced breakfast, and he has to deal with the other kids who aren't nearly as sweet to him as his mother is. That's why it's good for him. There is a macro lesson underneath all the other lessons when it comes to working inside the framework of a community. The macro lesson is that life is not all about you. Another danger of isolation, a critical danger, is the risk of spiritual shipwreck. God gave the church as a place of refuge. The sanctuary. This building is built, the architecture of it is to represent the belly of a ship, the ark. A place of refuge from the storm and the judgment of God. It's out in the world. It's a safe harbor, a safe harbor, a safe place. And so, it is a place of protection, instruction, discipline, love, and communion. And when we forsake that place and go it alone, then we have stepped outside the covenant protection. The church community is God's idea. Jesus died for the church. He gave the church the necessary gifts to equip us for service in His kingdom and to treat that lightly or with contempt is both foolish and dangerous. It is highly presumptuous to assume that we don't really need what the church is giving. When the elders say we need to do certain things, we think, or act like sometimes, that we're the exceptions. We're all tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we should. And thus the Apostle Paul warns, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When we are not diligent members of the covenant community that Jesus died to make us members of, then don't be surprised when spiritual drift sets in. I've watched many stray inch by inch by inch. As Paul writes about money and other idols for which he says some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Every moment lived outside the context of a godly community is a moment of temptation and extreme danger. Now one last thing about being on the edge of the community as opposed to being engulfed by it. It is easy for some to become judges of all the others in the community. To not sit outside the circle that way, but to sit above it. 
It's easy to become a judge, to sit on our little perch and evaluate what's wrong with everyone else. That is not communion. There is no spiritual gift of judgment. It's humbling to realize that you're just like everyone else. So no high horses are allowed in the community. Now, before we took membership vows, every one of us read the church constitution and said that we understood it and that we agreed to it. The elders emphasized the Article uh, 4, which is titled Expectations of Members, which in part reads like this. Members of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church shall devote themselves to both the private and public means of grace, including regular attendance of all appointed church services, Sunday school and worship services, fellowship meetings, special meetings or conferences, private and family devotions with Bible reading and prayer, and the showing of hospitality to the saints. And then we all publicly vowed before God and his church a summary of this uh, commitment to community when we said that we promise to support this congregation by your prayers, attendance, giving, and labor. But then the challenge to keep those vows creeps in and excuses and justifications or lethargy and laziness threaten us, just like it happens in marriage vows, right, after time. The new wears off and it's easy to drift from those commitments. And now uh, people who get up every day, uh, the challenge creep in, but the people who get up every day and go to work or who would never miss some special event that they wanted to go to are suddenly too tired to get up on Sunday. It is a day of rest, you know. Now, thankfully, I'm probably, and I mean this sincerely, I'm pretty sure I'm not talking to most of you. So, by the way, in in a sermon when that happens, that's the time you should rejoice in the confirmation of your Christian maturity. But these are problems for some. In fact, they are problems for many professing Christians, and it's one of the many problems with the lethargy of the Christian church today. And the church and the pastors of churches who are her shepherds have an obligation to speak to these threats every bit as much as a parent has an obligation to speak to their children who have fallen into some bad habits. I want to be clear here. Why do we come to church? Because the preacher fussed at us about not being there? If that's why you're coming, I'm going to invite you to stay home. That's not a reason to come. But what I want to do is stir you up and remind you of what Jesus did for you. He saved you. He rescued you and me. He transformed us. He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are His We are His people. And He has called us to assemble in His name and to offer up praise and thanksgiving and to rejoice with Him together in the assembly of God's people. Why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't every Christian want to do that unless in some way they were providentially hindered from doing so? Communities are where we are born, baptized, and live, and worship. And we have birthdays, we're instructed, we have fellowship, 
We graduate from school, we get married, we have babies, we have more baptisms, we're conformed, we're encouraged, and where we celebrate and mourn, where we serve and are served, where we get sick and die, and where we have funerals. And we do this generation after generation as we inculcate the faith of our fathers into multiple generations. When you have a baby, it is your baby, but it is not just your baby. When you graduate, it is your graduation, but the community has a part. When you get married, it is your wedding, but it is not just your wedding. You're part of something much bigger and something very, very important. We are there to witness and to celebrate and to support and to receive. We are members of one another. Now I want to conclude just with a short list, very short, how to develop the covenant community mindset. Very quick, the Lord's Day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it separate. To keep it holy. To keep it distinct from all the other six. It's a special day. It's a day off. The day we get to rest. It's the day we get to delight. It's the day we get to be with each other. You were too busy to do that during the week, weren't you? You'd like to have people over Tuesday night, but we can't. we got homework. We got a ball game. The Lord's Day set apart. We don't have ball games. We don't have homework. You say, yeah, we do. No, you did that on Saturday. You already got it done, so you don't have to do it today. See, if you plan ahead, then you say, hey, we, we, we're going to guard this day. We want this day to not be intruded upon. This day distinguishes the community of God's people from the world. Second is worship. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. The corporate worship of the one true God is what unifies us. It's what keeps us on the same page. It keeps us together. We all come in. We all bow before Him. We all lift up our voices and our hearts and our hands before God. We do it together. Fellowship. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If we're, if we're not in the homes of other church members or other church members are not in our homes, then we cannot possibly know one another the way we should. Time management. George Grant once said, we cannot manage time, but we can manage ourselves. When we become so busy with work or other activities that we begin to neglect our families or our church community, then our orientation is not covenantal or kingdom-oriented, and it has become misdirected. Something's wrong. Something needs to change. There are temporary periods that have special demands, but if your whole life is consumed with being too busy for these things, then you've got it backwards. Your work is there to enable you to be engaged with your family, and your church is also your family. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Maintaining 
priorities requires constant vigilance. Communication. Our identity as a called people is strengthened by our common interest. And the way we find out about our common interest is we spend a fair amount of time talking about those things. So what we think of sometimes as small talk is really not so small after all. I like to know what you like. I'd like to know something about where you came from and what you've been through and what you dream about, what you enjoy, what you hate. I'd like to know that about you so I can know you. Praying for one another, teaching and admonishing one another. I wrote down geography. Daily interaction among people of like faith provides abundant opportunity to love one another. Do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. And then finally, imagine an entire community with the same worldview, the same ethic, raising our children together with a common standard and goal. People who are like-minded. And then I would remind you, and this is the last part of this, the benefits of church membership, of being part of the community. There are clear benefits and privileges in being a member of the community known as the local church. It's God's gift to his people for their good. It's in the context of being one part of the body that the individual receives the blessing and benefits of being served by the other parts of the body And it is in the context of the body that the parts of the body are nourished and built up. One of the privileges of church membership comes from the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We've talked about that recently. While baptism precedes church membership in time, it is clearly the only, uh, it's clear that only the church may judge its proper recipients and administer that sacrament. It is the putting on of this sign of the covenant of grace, that is baptism, which indicates that we have been set apart by God for His special redemptive work and have been spiritually and covenantally engrafted into and united to the body of Christ. This qualifies us for entrance into the community. Having been formally declared that we are united to Christ by baptism, All members are obligated to make public profession of faith and embrace the covenant of grace without reservation. No halfway members. New adult converts should make this profession upon entering the church. And those who have received the sign of baptism uh, as, as infants must likewise, as soon as God enables them to do so, embrace and profess that faith. Baptized church members are entitled to join into then the communion with Christ and his people at the Lord's table. It is at the Lord's table that we declare that we, having discerned the Lord's body, are united to him with one another in his death, in his resurrection, and in expectation of his return. Another benefit or privilege of church membership is pastoral care. As Hebrews 13:17 describes it, those who keep watch over your souls. Having the watch care, feeding, and oversight of God's under-shepherds is a great blessing to God's people. And while they are but men, and I know that firsthand, 
with feet of clay. Nevertheless, they are God's men and they are his gift to his people. Indeed, they represent Christ to the congregation. And as he has an interest in his people, so do the shepherds of the flock. Pulling away or hiding from the shepherds is another way of withdrawing from the community. And it is a dangerous place to be. Through the public preaching and teaching of his word and administration of the sacraments and through private counsel and instruction, the pastors and elders provide needed rule, help, direction, compassion, and concern for Christians at all levels of spiritual development. And now they might tell us things that we don't like to hear or don't want to do, but that we need to hear and that we need to do. They are God's gifts to us. And then finally, the fellowship and ministry of the congregation itself is also one of the great benefits afforded to the members of the community. It is in the community context, again, that we are served by others spiritually, physically, socially. Here we find friendship, companionship, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we find husbands and wives. We're prayed for, we're encouraged, we're rebuked, we're loved, we're helped. And we find those who will weep with us, those who will rejoice with us. And it's here that each part of the body works together for the good of every other part. In short, we find a family, the household of God. I want to conclude this exhortation with just a statement here on the community by saying that, by and large, I believe this community of saints is doing an excellent job. And I would say with the Apostle Paul, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All of us fail, slip, and grow weary in well-doing. All of us need to be reminded of things we already know, and all of us, from time to time, need reproof, rebuke, and exhortation. But we... We are in Christ. He is our head, our Lord, our Savior. He strengthens, enables, and mediates for us. He does what we cannot do for ourselves. He unites. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have not been left alone, and yet in our rebellion we are sometimes tempted to retreat from the communities you've placed us in. Rather than being all in, we are only partially in. We make excuses and try to justify our self-centeredness. Forgive us if we've done that, we pray, and help us to hold the same priority of community that you do. May we be devoted to the body of Christ and to our families, which are extensions of the church. May we be of one accord. May our love for one another be seen by the world, and may they know thereby that we are your disciples indeed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
The church is all about community or commonality, as we read in Ephesians 4, 6, of one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And then in Acts 2, 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. The speaking in tongues uh, on the day of Pentecost was itself a call to community. And the Lord's table, the family table, is also about community. It is the communion table. And so I trust that you have come to commune, not in some private moment of introspection, but in a public moment of community. We come together. We eat together. We remember together. We live together. Our text from the sermon today, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Amen. And now, O Lord, as we go forth from this place, having met with you and having again worshipped in the assembly of your people, we delight and rejoice in your presence, and we also pray that your grace will now be evident in us, so that we might glorify you and serve you acceptably with reverence and fear. Perfect in us that which is lacking. Increase our faith, establish our hope, kindle our love. Bless now our time of fellowship with one another and our rest together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of, all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen.